Hello and welcome to the Women's Edition, the podcast which celebrates women's stories. I'm Carla and I'm joined by women who share stories about their lives, experiences and challenges. So wherever you are, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy their stories as much as I do. Welcome to the last episode of Series 1. I can't believe it. Thanks to everyone for joining me throughout this first series. This week, I welcome Kalkadan Lagessa. She's a social entrepreneur and founder and director of Sancho's, which is a sustainable fashion and lifestyle shop in Exeter, which stocks an impressive array of ethical labels. As well as running Sancho's, Kalkadan is also about to launch Schwab a digital resale platform for sustainable fashion brands, which looks really exciting, and we talk about that in the episode. Sancho's has a major following online and recently won Independent High Street Shop of 2020 by Holly & Co. Calcadan has also been named one of Draper's 30 Under 30 of 2021, which is an initiative celebrating the rising stars of fashion retail. There are a number of reasons I asked Calcadan to come on the podcast. Firstly, because of her mission to found environmentally ethical and socially inclusive businesses, but also because of her ability to address hard-hitting topics and how, through Sancho's, she's created a platform and a space for learning and growing, which I find so interesting, and we talk a lot about that, so I'm really excited to welcome her onto the podcast. I will leave it there, because I want you to hear her. Enjoy listening. how did that all begin oh how to say you know how like a few years ago less so now though you know lots of people like oh yeah I really want to do better about my shopping I want to make a difference or yeah I want to buy something that's ethically made but I don't know how um you know I kept getting tired of kind of hearing that and that feeling of like I want to do something that's better for the world but I don't know how to do it um and so we thought it would be really valuable to and put together a retail space that you know really housed brands making a difference and put them all together so that our customers didn't have to do the work of like gauging whether or not things were made in a socially and an environmentally sound way um yeah just because you know at some point rather than worrying about what's going wrong um or how to make an impact, you just have to start somewhere, don't you? So that's how Sanchez began. Um, That and a few other things happening in our kind of personal lives. And, um, you know, I was introduced to fashion as a a platform for change, working in Ethiopia, um, where I learned all about weaving and the craft of fashion. Um, So there was some personal kind of drive to tell that story as well um it's just yeah fashion is great because it basically you know it's creativity it's art it's manufacturing it's a really effective way to um employ a lot of people um yeah so that a lot of reasons <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's really good i can keep going <laughs> i won't <laughs> And Sancho's, in well, I think in a lot of people's views, is very game-changing. Can you talk mm. us through 
the shop's sort of ethos and aims and how you came up with them? Yeah, so like I say, like I think I've always been motivated to just do the right thing and I guess that sounds a bit like um airy fairy maybe quite obnoxious too but I think um what what I mean is if if I do something I I need to know that it's um not hurting people um and not hurting the environment and not hurting kind of vulnerable creatures ideally like and so that was probably I don't know how you would summarize that into a phrase I'm sure somebody could do that better than me but that that want to kind of just sleep easy at night I guess built our criteria for Sancho's which is essentially you know the things we sell need to be fairly traded and so that means workers have living wage they are able to unionize you know they're not working in unsafe conditions things like that um, it needs to be sustainably produced, so it has to be organic, recycled. Um, it needs to be made to last, so it needs to not be kind of fad designs that are, are produced kind of for very short periods of time with no thought to their longevity. Um, and we're looking for transparency of the supply chain as well, so our customers can find out more about where things are from and what they do. Um, so yeah, so this criteria is kind of how we look at the business, um, and we look at it in terms of what we sell, but also how we sell it. So, um, you know, our packaging process, our marketing comms, um, how our staff are treated, how we treat each other. Um, yeah, but it's just, like, yeah, you know, I think it's crazy how, like, not all businesses do that, if I'm honest with you. And I guess more so now it's becoming... Um, more businesses are trying to position themselves in that way um but what's interesting is watching how like for big organizations it could be such a challenge because they they haven't practiced so they haven't built the muscle of um you know taking into account multiple stakeholders when designing their business model um so much so that their business model is inherently exploitative um which is yeah it's, it's a really surreal thing to see and people ask me about it regularly and I think it's just for me, it's always been um, the most kind of natural course to take, I guess. Lovely. Yeah, I, I think so, personally. But I, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, which um, is interesting, isn't it? Like, yeah. So much, like, so much that's really, like, damaging behaviour is so normalised in our cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think just what what I'm what I'd like to say I guess now is that um I think that the way we've we've understood what the economy is and what businesses are um feels like like inevitable truth so we're taught things about businesses that are taught as though they're kind of written on stone they're facts you know businesses should profit maximize they should lower their costs they should do whatever it takes they should sell as many products as they possibly can um, but all of those teachings were designed by, you know, just a f- small amount of people, but then retaught to all of us until it became our heuristic. And I think it's only really in the past 10 years that an alternative story is being told um, to the kind of, to a mass audience. Um, stories around circularity, around de- degrowth, 
around sustainability and I think they're really exciting um and yeah it has the power to kind of transform our world I think definitely that's a really thoughtful answer um you're bringing equality to the fashion table in many ways you're amplifying black and brown female voices you're you know, fair wages for garment workers who are predominantly women and making fashion fair for females in so many ways. And I wondered, was that, was fairness for women in particular an important factor for you? Or is that, is it just because women tend to do a lot of that work in the fashion industry that that's how that came about? Um, I think both, I guess. Um, so, you know, I'm a Ethiopian woman, um, you know, I'm an asylum seeker or, you know, used to be an asylum seeker. Um, you know, I, I'm i really proud of where I come from and I know it's richness, but um, in typical ways, like my life could have gone a different direction. So I think it, feel, it all feels like really personal. And I wish that I wish that that wasn't the driving factor because it would be good to say that, you know, I could... It matters. It should matter to everybody, right? It shouldn't matter to me specifically, but um, yeah, like particularly the the experiences of um, black and brown women feels really personal um, because that's the group to which I belong. And honestly, like I think if there were more black and brown women in leadership positions within fashion, like this wouldn't happen because the reason that the industry, well, one of the reasons why the industry can stomach the exploitation of so many people is because we don't, in the West and um, in kind of countries that have been, in economies that have been born out of, you know, the remnants of colonialism, we don't value the lives of black and brown women in the same way that we do other lives. And so when we hear of the exploitation, it doesn't feel unusual, like we're not surprised by it, and so we can let it perpetuate. Um, And that's so scary, and yeah, I guess... um, I, I can't feel that way because, you know, it's me. Um, yeah. But also, in addition to that, like, the fashion industry is so reliant on women. Um, you know, over 80% of people who work in fashion are women. You know, that's crazy. Um, you know, 74 million people. It's one of the largest employers in the world. Um, and yet, you know, how best does it serve them? The, the people who own fashion as a whole tend to be um you know really wealthy men um more often than not white men um and you know the people making the most money from it are belong to that group as well but they are completely reliant on the labor um of black and brown women and yeah i think that that i think there's a lot of that that is in that you know how have we as a society fail to understand that until really very recently and fail to understand that like if we want equality um you know these the value needs to be more fairly distributed like that that's it's a really simple thing I think um but for some reason I think the way fashion has been marketed and why the way the story of fashion has been sold for so long kind of has really told like excluded them from the story and just kind of ignored how it came to be and where it comes from I mean who makes it and you know their lived experience I think it's only recently that we've been um kind of trying to center them more totally yeah 
exactly. It's it's sad, but it's not surprising, and I think that makes it even worse. Mm. Um, yeah. And so, what ways do you think people could support Black women-owned businesses? What what can we do to go forward from this? Um. So. I mean, to support black women-owned businesses, like, you should just shop with them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just be a customer. Um, one thing that, like, one thing that's changed for me is um, there's this thing called Black Pound Day, and it was started by Swiss of, um, so Solid Crew, and he's a, just a real stand-up guy. Um, but it just encourages people to shop at black-owned businesses one day each month, the first Saturday of each month. Um, and so... You know, I've always kind of wanted to shop in a mindful way. Um, But until Black Pound Day, I wasn't really asking myself, like, um, am I... What what goes into my thinking process when I buy things? And one thing that it highlighted for me is that, you know, obviously I'm consuming a lot to live, you know. I consume food and housing and utilities and services and fashion, lots of different things. Um... But am I asking myself, like, how am I, what is my selection criteria of choosing the kind of supplier I use? Um, and what proportion am I am I putting into, um, you know, minority, you know, BIPOC-owned, Black-owned companies? Um, so now what I try to do is try to distribute at least 30% of my expenditure that way. Um, and yeah, so I think everyone should be thinking to themselves, not just, okay, let me buy from a black owned business because that's the ethical thing to do, but they should be asking themselves of everything that I'm spending, how much is going towards, um, BIPOC owned people or companies? Um, because what I think most of us find is that it's the same people who are extracting our wealth or take, you know, receiving our wealth over and over again. And those people, you know, of course, they tend to be white and they tend to be male. um, But more than that, they are, you know, already really wealthy. And they've already made, like, so many decisions that indicate to us they're not going to reinvest their wealth into our society. And that's the problem. And I think that's a problem for everybody, whatever skin colour you are. Like, that's everyone's problem. So, yeah, I would suggest... Shopping more with black-owned businesses, but also just asking yourself, like, even if you've bought one thing from a black-owned business, business, like, ask yourself, of the total money that I'm distributing in this world, like, how am I deciding who it goes to and why and what options do I have? And if I if I change some of my decisions, what impact might that have on the world? I think that's the question. Mm-hmm. Oh, brilliant. Thank you for answering that. That's why I asked, because you could you could just say, well, shop there. But I really wanted that kind of deep answer. Um, but do also... shop with me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I was like, I'm like such a bad salesperson. <laughs> no, I do. But we've moved to the Netherlands and oh. the ridiculous Brexit is just yeah. causing like the import duties. But I'm still I'm Gosh. still doing it. Less you. But no, I, I yeah, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, let's not talk about it. Mm. <laughs> um, I'd also like to talk about Sancho's not only as an ethical and sustainable fashion shop, but also as a space for anti-racism discussions of learning and of growing. Because I've really noticed lately, like it's really 
blossomed. Um, was that a conscious decision to create a platform from Sancho's or is that your voice sort of growing organically or maybe a bit of both? Oh yeah, thank you for asking that question and in that way too. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think it wasn't like, I think that I didn't feel confident enough to speak about race with like my full voice for a long time. Um, and so although like Sanchez was a platform, I think I was, I didn't really think that, um, my, my thoughts, views and experience on race belong there. Um, I think part of that is like the conditioning we all have to kind of accept things as they are, even if they are damaging. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, like a lot of people, um, 2020 and particularly, um, summer of 2020 was like super super difficult for me and a lot of things are difficult for me and I think what's happening is sometimes I speak about it <laughs> and um yeah I think it's important too because what I've learned is that like I'm not the only person struggling with a lot of um a lot of these kind of race or discrimination or microaggression based experiences I think it's it's happening to way too many people and one of the values of speaking about it is that people see it and they think actually yeah like you know my experiences are true and it, they're sometimes unjust and you know here's how I might understand them or move from them in the future so I think that's what's happened with it and you know I I'm I just hope that like we're able to provide a an honest and effective place of learning like sometimes I think we fall a bit short because so many of these topics are just so complex and so personal and so traumatic and I think what what's really needed is like ground up systematic change so sometimes like an Instagram post doesn't feel sufficient so yeah, I hope I hope we're contributing overall to like a good outcome. And can I just talk about a recent post you wrote in light of the week following Sarah Everard's death? Mm. And your post said this is all too heavy that this week has treated womanhood like this country has treated blackness for centuries. Yeah. I shared it and I got a lot of DMs disagreeing with Did it. You? And I just wondered how you felt about the backlash I yeah. saw on that post. It's tough, like that that post in particular, like it's tough because um, misogyny um, affects all women and it's completely unjust and it's often very violent and and too often it's deadly. Um, and yeah, and I think that the thing is, like, I think when you experience trauma and you experience pain, like, when others experience it, I think you, you do as well. Like, it's it's really hard to separate, like, one person's pain from your own. But I think that in our society, there are people who have to carry more than others, frankly. Um, and so, like, I'm a black woman experiencing misogyny and racism and trying to speak on it and being told by white women that... Um, I'm not properly speaking on misogyny and that's a challenging place to be because obviously because it's such a sensitive time at the time as well um, 
yeah, it was really annoying. And like one of the ladies, just to go in, was like basically inviting me to present a kind of a you know a peer-reviewed detailed response to her comments and it's like I'm a working person like I don't have the time to present you with a full like case studied researched argument and I think that should be expected given that I've communicated this on a on an Instagram page you know and but the expectation is so high and overwhelmingly high um yeah so yeah I think I mean that speaks to kind of I think one of the challenges of feminism is that um I think it's still not fully a space that is open to um women who are not white like I think like mainstream feminism is still a little bit exclusionary yeah very white um Totally. It's a shame because, I, yeah, I don't think like, I just I don't think that I am safe from any form of misogyny. So, um, it would be nice to feel included in the in the goals of feminism. Like that would be a, a nice feeling, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and it would be nice for um, the call to kind of make feminism intersectional not feel like a um an attack on on you know some of the core principles of feminism which is you know equality for women like that would be it it just seems like it's something that should be possible but for some reason it's not and I you know when when I received those comments I'm just going you're the first person who's asked me about this and actually it's like really like wound me up so that's why I've got so much to say but um like I was quite overwhelmed by some of the posts and like because I didn't know what to say like I didn't know how to explain that like I wasn't saying misogyny wasn't like didn't exist like, I don't know how to communicate to people that um you know you know we're a brand that makes sure women are paid living wage um you know that my career has been dedicated to it that like I'm a woman like everything like obviously I could do more for activism for women for sure but um I, I I accept that misogyny is real like I don't know how to have that conversation because um in starting it, it kind of invites a critique of who I am as a person and I just felt too like um I don't know vulnerable to having that conversation um because you know like social media is such like a toxic environment and you're never you're not going to be like enough for everyone ever um or like you're not going to have the right um ethics for everyone ever so I don't know how to have that conversation I felt like if I wasn't prepared to that have that conversation then I couldn't defend my assertion that actually you know the kind of most recent call for more um, safety and security for women for black women is something that seems impossible for us like that it would never happen um because you know we're dying we're being murdered and and of course like with police brutality like one of the central tenets of the um black Lives matter movement and just racial justice movement is highlighting how police are used to enact 
um, the wills of the state through violence. That's not to say that the police are completely violent, but they, there's enough evidence to illustrate that they are being used as a tool of violence. Mm-hmm. And to have that message not included in people's allyship for, you know, a year, and then for it to suddenly become very clear and understandable and central to the conversation, it it's like living in a twilight zone. It's so It's really confusing, honestly. It's confusing because, of course, like, of course it's true, like, and yeah I think um one thing that I read recently or heard somewhere is that like if a black person or like a minority person is expressing their experience like at that point it's gotten too Mm. much because if we expressed our experience all the time like that would that would be literally the only thing we talk about so by that time they're overloaded and I think that's just how I felt at that time and then it was just like oh damn like (laughs) you know that's not enough for people and but yeah but on the other hand like that is social media and that's fine do you know what I mean it's not like yeah it's not um it's not the whole world is it and and yeah the other thing is like I think I I did the maths because I do the maths and it was like less than like 0.3% of people had something kind of to complain about. So it was just like, well, yeah, I can't spend my entire life like worrying about 0.3% people's opinions. It makes no sense. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, I think yeah. people should do that more often. Yeah, I think. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought of that, yeah. Um, I think also it was quite nuanced mm. what you were trying to say. And I think people, I don't know, people have kind of lost nuance on social media. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It, it's one way or the other. There's nothing yeah, in between. Yeah, that's so true. And yeah, it's, I think it's one of the kind of most toxic things about social media as well. Um, yeah. It's funny because, like, one of the criticisms was that I had lost nuance. <laughs> I was just oh, like, really? oh. like, I don't know where to start with that. It's like, yeah. <laughs> okay, I can read that, but that's not how I, anyway, it's not what I heard. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because, like, you can really ruin someone's day with, like, a comment or a post. And it's amazing that people do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's, I think social media isn't easy for everyone and um, experiencing kind of any form of trauma, including misogyny, isn't easy for everyone. I think it's okay that we um, are learning how to um, kind of stand with each Mm -hmm. other in effective ways. I think that's okay. And yeah, I think there's much more harmful behaviour. Like I know I spent most of this time talking about that, but I, like it's really not um you know I think our attention should be put in other directions Mm. but it has stopped me I haven't quite yet gone there on our on it because there's things I want to talk about but seeing seeing reactions on social I don't have the brain space at the moment to deflect all of that I get that which is possibly cowardice but I don't know I think Um, you've got to like find a balance um and I think some things are always worth talking about, despite, like, the things you get back and talk about stuff. But, like, I, I block people, or I cancel comments, like, I, yeah. I, 
it's not like you protect yourself sure i don't i think one of the weird things is how we think that like everything's up for debate like you can just sit down and have a debate about everything and like everyone's views valid i don't agree with that like that that page isn't about holding debate it's about sharing a perspective and so yeah i think that's the one way you can deal with it as well as just kind of protect your space and protect your boundaries that's good that's good advice thank you you recently also started your own podcast yeah. well now you know um so is that did you launch the podcast on the back of all of the discussions you were having with Sancho's the main thing I wanted to get over in the podcast is kind of like me and my friends will have like long conversations kind of breaking down subjects until we understand them because if, if we don't that's like our therapy because if you don't understand them then they're so overwhelming and yeah that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast um but I think yeah people should go and like it <laughs> subscribe to it and yeah but it's not like a regular thing it's just kind of a um you know when the time time gives it but yeah for me it's just it was just about chatting about stuff that for some reason people still don't chat about which is crazy but yeah thanks for listening to it (laughs) sorry (laughs) um moving on to this last year which has been like no other in so many ways for all of us Mm. um but not only the pandemic but there's also been quite other heavy events too but how has lockdown and the general feeling of the last year affected Sancho's and yourself have you had to like evolve the business in any way yeah um yeah for sure we've had to really like embrace online business which is about more than just having a website (laughs) and it's about like how our team is structured like what we're good at like what our skill sets are like what who our networks are like yeah we've had to kind of um reposition the business um and that was hard and it still is hard like we still I still feel like I've got more to do than time to do it but it's also been quite rewarding um and I've learned some things about my life I've learned that like I can have a healthier work-life balance if I choose which is an amazing lesson yeah so that's been like that in terms of like the effects of lockdown like I'm super like I'm completely burnt out (laughs) with lockdown like I'm over it like I yeah particularly this last one like um January through to March now it's been super challenging um you know this isolation is challenging like being separated from family is challenging and I think it's you know we try to support our team members but I think everyone's experiencing it in some format obviously everyone around the world is experiencing it in some format and yeah one thing that like we're super lucky in is like everyone's healthy which is an amazing blessing and so yeah no that makes sense and so talking of 2020 Sancho's won high street shop of 2020 congratulations like I said like our team worked really hard last year like we didn't have an easy year so it was just like really um just I don't know retrupative is that the word it just felt like oh yeah great like we did it (laughs) it felt really good yeah I'm really proud of us and just yeah really happy about it and now we say you know we're the best high street shop which is nice it's a nice thing to say yeah really happy to have one I'm really grateful to everyone I know a lot of people did vote for us so yeah really grateful to everyone who took the time and could we just 
talk about transparent pricing. I know I've got off, gone off on one here, but yes. you introduced it last year yeah. and I've never seen it anywhere before. Could you just talk us through it and how you came up with the idea? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think we're the first people who've done it, um, but yeah, I think we have communicated it a slightly different way and I wish more people would do it. I guess like, that's the thing to start with. Um, but basically, um, we have, with many of our products, we have like, a tiered pricing structure where we have three prices and the cost price the first price is basically our cost of selling that item um the second price covers things like marketing and then the final price covers our cost and gives us the profit margin that we are looking for um and we let the customer choose what they want to pay and the reason we do so is because we acknowledge that not everyone has the same disposable income and that shouldn't mean that everyone has the same access that should that shouldn't mean that people don't have access to to goods or services within reason right i think that what happens too often in not just ethical fashion but in sustainable industries is most people are priced out quite quickly um, and I'm not talking about like people who expect to pay kind of £10 for a pair of jeans and buy 10 of them, you know, a year. Like that obviously is its own issue of overconsumption. But, you know, people who just don't have the money and otherwise wouldn't have the option, what sustainable pricing does or the transparent pricing does, is it, it just kind of says that if you have less money, well, here you go. And if you have more money, then you know, think about what that means and about your choice and how, like, if you are prepared to spend that money, what that means for others. And I think it's just an important kind of proponent of the type of economy and society we all want, which is one that's where resources are more equally distributed. I think we all know that, like, you know, we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And what what are we going to do about it? Like, are we going to expect everyone to bear like, equal burden for everything that's um, better for the collective? Or can some people, you know, take on shoulder a bit more? So it's just an experiment, really, to see how customers responded. And it's just been received so well. Like, I think it definitely increased our um, customer base because now we are accessible to people we weren't before. And it's also given an opportunity for people to kind of reflect about their own privilege and their own wealth and what that means and about their options. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah, and I think our customers also, in, in communicating what our cost prices actually are, I think our customers understand um, the value of what we offer and understand that, you know, you might be seeing, you know, a £100 jumper here, but you know, most of that is being used to pay for organic and sustainable materials and fair trade production, which is, you know, transformative um, in the supply chain. So perhaps that's the right thing to do like that's the right product to choose um even if it's not the lowest price one on the market so yeah I think it does a whole bunch of stuff um yeah and I'm glad it's been received well yeah Mm. I'm intrigued I'm guessing people do still pay full price yeah for sure they do yeah yeah I think I think that's what people this is do you remember earlier when I was just like I think we were taught about like the economy like this and people like this and businesses like Mm -hmm. that and just accepted those to be true. Like I think this is one of the things. Like we've been taught that people will exploit you. Like that's what mm. they will do inevitably, and that's their natural. There's this thing around like self-interested actions, and um, 
you know, the problem of... We, we treat everything like it's like a zero-sum game. Like, if I if I don't take from someone else, they'll take from me. Mm. And, yeah, and I don't think that's true. And, like, luckily there's more research going out that's showing that there is a lot of natural kind of community orientated behavior in humans and i wish that we could build our economy and our society based on those kind of core principles as opposed to the principles that yeah people will just take advantage of everything if they can um and yes people pay full price on transparent price and stuff all the time and you know and so they should because when they do we're able to kind of reinvest into our business model and hopefully you know, make a positive impact. Um, and I think those people know that and they're behind it. You know, I'm super grateful to them, um, but also conscious that, like, you know, it's that's their role in this. Like, mm. that's their role. Whereas somebody else's role might be to um, to just get started somewhere, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would feel way guilty if doing that, if, like, not paying full price if you knew you had the money yeah. in the bank. Like For sure. Um, yeah, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad other people are doing that too. <laughs> I hope it's not the feeling of guilt, but more the feeling of doing something good. I hope. Like, yeah, but if, I hope so. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we should ask, right? <laughs> that, are we just making you feel really guilty as you're doing your shopping? <laughs> like we should ask. <laughs> no, I think it's both. I think it's seeing where the money's going really helps. Yes. And then yeah. also just know. And also I always think like, if I paid full price, that means someone else doesn't necessarily yeah. have to. You know, you're kind of yeah. paying it forward in a way. Yeah, exactly, for sure. Um, not blowing my own trumpet there. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of this stuff does sound like just blowing your own trumpet, which is like, like yeah, this. I always, yeah, I always like listen back to podcasts and just think, like, <laughs> but that's actually one of the reasons I did it because women don't talk about themselves enough. I don't think we do I don't think it's in our society for women to Mm. say look I've done this look how Mm. amazing this is because men do it all the time (laughs) and it's not even that amazing sometimes just basic (laughs) yeah it's like oh look you're living amazing yeah (laughs) I do try not to be a man bashing podcast I this is a podcast celebrating women but sometimes (laughs) sometimes they just like set themselves up yeah (laughs) exactly um women supporting women is like the hashtag of this podcast but I also feel like Sancho's holds this space too could you talk through the sort of the recent photo shoot and campaign with Mayor Thomas and how that came about sure so we have released a lounge set um that we're really excited about and Maya is actually a friend of mine we met last year um, and we've been doing a project um, with our county council together. And she's beautiful. And she does amazing work. So she um, she does a lot of training with schools around kind of introducing them to Black Lives Matter as a movement and some of the core principles that are behind it. Um, and she also runs projects where she feeds the community with um, a group of volunteers um, so if anybody's looking for some food, um, she will help them. And I'm just basically, I've just seen her over like the past um, six months that I've known her, like always go a step further and always just try and be so giving with her time and her resources. 
And I think a lot of us, like, I think, I don't know, I think that's such a good example to everybody that um, all of the things that you thought weren't possible are actually possible because you can do it. And, it, you know, I just, yeah, I think I'm, I'm just proud of her. I think she's really cool. And um, I was delighted to work with her just, you know, as a model. But I'm also, yeah, really delighted that hopefully we're able to introduce a few more people to her because um, I think she's doing really great work and, you know, I just want her to thrive. Mm. Yeah, I went and followed her after I saw it because I was like, who is this? Yeah. Um, yeah, they, your photo shoots look really fun. Thank you. Yeah, they are. They are. They can be a bit intense though when we're actually shooting because it's like, come on, go, 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 like, get that cute shot. <laughs> it looks like really relaxed in the images, but we're just like, okay, now, now this one. <laughs> and now change into the next set of really cozy, comfortable outfits. Um, yeah, but no, they're really fun. And yeah, like, so Roberta Jackson Keane, um, so she is our buying and styling manager. Um, and she does some freelance too. She, yeah, so she directs the shoots and plans them and sets them up and does such a fantastic job of them that I get to show up and, you know, try my hardest, like, not to blink or, like, <laughs> scratch my nose or something. And, yeah, our team actually is, like, at the moment, it's largely women. Um, and that's not by design. That's just kind of, I think it's just because of the industries we're in. Actually, I'm... I'm one thing that I'm really conscious of is I definitely want to have be a place where men can work and want to work because diversity is really important. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, like it's such a great environment, and they're all like all of our team, like Olivia Riley, Eva Littlejohn. They're just amazing people, and yeah, they they really make Sancho's. Yeah, I'm really proud of them and grateful to them. And yeah, women support women every day. I think. And that's the cool thing. And what's on the horizon for you and Sancho's? I know you're imminently launching, yeah. let me say this right, Schwab? Yeah, Schwab. Okay, so if you get Schwab Yes, so, um, yeah, so Schwab is our startup and we are so excited about it. Like, we think that it can transform the fashion industry and that's our goal with it. And it's, yeah, it's so thrilling to, like, you know, really go for it. So what Schwab does is it simplifies the process of resale to a click of a button. We've created technology that can integrate with hundreds of thousands of brands so that people can plug in, access their catalogues of things they purchase from the brands they love, and then buy and sell with ease. And, you know, the reason that I was driven to do Schwab is because there's more clothing in the world at the moment than what it would take to dress the entire human population for the next 20 years. There is a huge excess of clothing and yet more and more being produced every year. And for that to change, brands need to become circular. So they need to manage and access the life cycle of the clothing they produce. It's like, you know, do you know when you're walking in like a really beautiful area and you see, um, you know, someone's littered. So there's like maybe bottles of water or crisp packets or whatever. And you're just like, who puts them there? Like, who threw them there? Why don't they just take them home with them? But I think the other question is, how has the company managed to sell rubbish? And how is it not their responsibility to figure out what to do with it or to recapture it, repurpose it, recycle it and reuse it? Because behind every person throwing something away is an organisation that's made something that's disposable. Um, and I think that we are at a place now in technologically and psychologically in society where that can now change. 
and when companies produce things that they can um, tap into the long kind of life cycle of that item and try to get more value from it. So Schwab is an infrastructure by which companies can do that and people get the benefit of ease of um, you know, buying, selling, donating, recycling um, their fashion <laughs> in their house. Yeah, so I'm so, yeah, I, I can't tell you, I'm so excited. It's been like, I've been working on it for like two years or longer even and um, we had to hit quite a lot of technological milestones in developing the infrastructure, um, but we have. And yeah, so hoping to go live with our first version in um, at the end of April. And yeah, I just hope it's something we can continue to develop and I hope it will make everyone's life a bit easier. Brilliant, amazing. Oh, I look forward to that. Mm. Um, brilliant. And my last question, which I love to ask because I always get really, really good answers is... Um, this podcast is all about women's stories. So is there a woman or women in your life who have inspired you or supported you along the way? Yes, absolutely. Um, so who to tell you about? Um, <laughs> yeah, like shout out to my mum, who she's like super powerful. She's, yeah, she's a real inspiration in lots of ways. And she's she also keeps it real like my family keep it real (laughs) so they're not like you know they inspire by kind of doing things and working hard and being kind and yeah I love her very much I've got a really lovely group of like girlfriends in the city that I'm really grateful to um so Crystal Carter she's American she is this amazing like web Wiz, she's just super intelligent and I am admired by her ability to kind of like really succeed in an industry that sometimes is a bit cloudy um, and also she's super funny. I've got a friend called B Watson and she runs a company called The Wild Hive, um, not The Wild Hive, Wild Hive <laughs> and um, she makes paper flowers, she's a paper flower artist and like this past year in particular she's just like massively just created a a business that is so cool and so popular and she's so independent and really powerful and really supportive so yeah I yeah I'm surrounded by women actually I'm really grateful to them all oh thank you thanks so much and thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you thanks for having me A really very insightful chat with Kalkadan there. I thank her again for coming on this podcast and sharing so many truths and facts that she just knows off the top of her head. Like, she just knows them. But also her honesty and also what it's like to be a black woman addressing such hard-hitting topics in this almost strange social media age. She's an inspirational woman who I think we should all be listening to. I've only met Kirkdan once and I emailed Sancho thinking it was quite a long shot and I was so thrilled when she said yes because I always think people put a lot of trust in you to put their voices out there because I edit all the recordings, you know, they don't have any say over that. But after talking to Kirkdan and learning a lot from it, I made me think where I wanted to go with this series and the next season And I really want to start making these podcasts more about learning and what women can learn from each other, because I think we've got so much to share. 
The first series, I focused on women's stories and their experiences, which has been so much fun. But the direction of the podcast is now going to change a little bit. Not only is this now a podcast for women to share their own stories and their experiences, but it's also for us to learn from each other. And I've always listened to podcasts because I like to learn. I like to find out stuff. And I think that we have been doing that in series one. But my questions were very much focused on someone's story. I wasn't really trying to get out of them lessons learned, say. So for the next series about contemporary female adventurers, it won't just be their stories, but also I hope to get out of them. I hope for them to impart their insights of the world and what they've learned and what we can learn from them. I'm really looking forward to this next series. I will be welcoming a world record-breaking hot air balloon pilot, which I am so excited to share with you, and a woman who was part of the first ever all-female expedition to the North Pole. I've been reading her book, and it is definitely a podcast not to be missed. These are amazing conversations. So I shall see you very soon, and I hope you can join me for Series 2. Bye! Bye!